0: Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Planning and housing issues.
1: To privatisations and our utility services.
0: To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City, city limits. limits. <laughs>
1: ah, that's, that's the sound <laughs> Hang on, let's just know. We've got a real problem. I've got a microphone that's. I don't know what's going on here. It's city limits, and we'll sort this mic out sometime soon. Um, and uh, I might switch mics actually, just temporarily. Hang on, we're going to have some more squeaking noises. Just sure. don't go away. I'll switch over to this one. In fact, I might change briefly. Here we are. I'll sit over here.
2: Morning, Kev. Morning, everyone. Now,
1: listen. That was. uh, We'll get back to this. We'll sort out that microphone eventually. Um, It's sort of stuck in a funny position. That's all. Which which, people can't see. They have no idea what's going on. It's the um, it's the third Wednesday of the month. It's Housing Day on City Limits, and uh, Shani Gordon from the Housing for the Aged Action Group is coming in. She's going to talk to us about residential villages and etc. and the way people get ripped off big time, um, <clears throat> which would be hard to believe in a capitalist society, but apparently it happens. <laughs> and uh, so Shani's coming in for the second half of the program, and the first half we've got heaps of things we're going to talk about. Um, in fact, we're also going to go, we've just got a note, because we are going to actually go to a We'll go at about 20 past or so to a call. Um, Howard is available to speak about, he rang up Talkback last week, in fact, when I did Talkback last Thursday morning, um, about uh, Queensland at least now taking steps to stop giving away public housing to community housing. So, a um, bit of a breakthrough. So, he's going to talk about that. And we will get Kay, if you're listening, we will give you a call at about twenty past and have a five or ten minute chat about it. So, and and catch up on it. Yeah, okay. Uh, I'm going to pour some tea. Anyone got anything they want to madly talk about?
3: Oh well, hi, it's Adrian here. I'm I'm back. Oh I, I forgot um, to yeah, mention yeah. all that, didn't I? Yeah, yeah. go. On, you, you 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 and our two here. Right yeah, I, I, well, I'm here. Empt here, and uh, you're here. So fantastic. And, and here. And, yeah, and um, and we uh, yeah, yesterday I had the privilege of going on a series professional development day. Uh, with Jida, and he's one of the uh, Aboriginal teachers at Ceres, and we went mm-hmm. up to Bort. And, and just for and people
1: who might wonder what you're talking about, Ceres is the environmental place in Brunswick. Yeah, uh,
3: in East yeah, Brunswick. Yeah, Sorry, yeah, I just thought yeah. everyone would know. They probably the do, show. they probably <laughs> do, but uh, we just better <laughs> make sure people... Yeah, yeah, we, we, could, we could be, be going international, time, exactly, right. and yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and um, yeah. someone's streaming. So, We've yeah, got so about s- a third of a cup of tea, by the way. We went to Bort, and we had the most amazing... Aboriginal cultural tour I've ever been on. I've been on a couple and um, Jida's a a brilliant host. His mum was there, his brother was there Mm -hmm. and they were all brilliant hosts and we saw um, scar trees, uh, climbing trees and learn a lot about Aboriginal culture and their um, progression in managing their their lands and the history of port that was quite positive actually. There was um, no massacres there and um, people used to... There's a hill that bought, and people used to, at a particular time of year when it was right for the tribes to gather, they'd light a a a smoky fire on a still day, and the smoke would climb high and high and high, and all the tribes would come in. And um, they're going to turn that into a tourist Mm. sort of um, environmental education program, cultural education program, and um, I recommend when that's up and running, everyone take the Two hours, forty-five minute trip out to board, or go out there for a weekend and do the do the tour because it was just I really, really felt more connected to Australia. It was just as a wonderful thing, actually. That sounds mm. fantastic.
2: Yeah. yeah. How long has Series been doing that for?
3: Oh, I think they've been doing the cultural programs for years and years and years. Oh. So this was a this was a a, a professional development program for Series educators. Educators and to go out and to to you know give us a a. a, a, a Deeper hands-on um, understanding of Aboriginal mm. culture taught by some like brilliant local mm. educators. So wow. that was wonderful. It sounds That's wonderful, it
1: does yeah, yeah,
3: mm. yeah. Just being brought reminds
1: me of that that part of the yeah. world. I uh, uh, went Donald, if you know, down there's some sort of Donalds in the M- Mallee as well out there, Donald. But it, yep. it's it's also the heart of the duck hunting season. But I don't know if they do it, if they send themselves up or whether they just don't realize. But you know how country towns have the name of the town and then some slogan for themselves under it on the thing? And Donald has a – Donald and under it it has duck country. Duck country. <laughs> Donald duck country. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not sure whether they, they know it or. I reckon someone, someone, knew someone knew it. would have pointed it out by now. But yeah, I thought – Donald
3: Duck. Yeah, we certainly did see the odd, um, in odd uh, shotgun shell up there in the dry lake bed. So mm. yeah. Yeah, people have been yeah. hunting away, but they're getting an ecological, um, cult and cultural envir- um flow water flow to help maintain their their lake system up there. So that's fantastic oh, that's... in yeah. October. Mm. Yeah. Oh, good, good. Yeah, I
1: just wanted to um, going back a little, 1967 May 23. Um, you'll be pleased to know that there was a, the biggest solar storm of the 20th century. And it knocked out radar uh, warning stations in Alaska, Greenland and Britain. And the US was incredibly close to pushing the nuclear button against the Soviets because they assumed oh. the Soviets had uh, blocked their uh, radar. And in fact, it was a solar storm, but the story's just come out. Um almost spooked the US into launching a nuclear attack on the Soviet Union. Um, so there you are, isn't this? And we've got a situation at the moment where, I don't think it's going to happen, but where Trump, imagine him with his finger on that button.
3: There, there was there was also, you know, the, the um, 99, um, 99 Hot Air Balloon song. That was about a a, a, oh, yeah. a flight of hot air balloons in, in East Germany that almost caused West Germany, or was the other <laughs> way around, I can't remember, but oh. to launch a nuclear preemptive strike because they thought it was... <laughs> a a launch of missiles wow. on their radar because a, a whole lot of air, hot air, but then someone realised they were actually going very slow. <laughs> and then, then there's the other classic, which was when they were in NORAD mm-hmm. and someone, one part of NORAD, which is the US sort of central command thing inside a mountain, one part of NORAD took over the computer system to run a simulated Russian attack. And didn't tell anyone else and didn't realise that their simulated Russian attack was coming up on the main screens. And they were, they were literally minutes away from yeah. – from, because they, they have a decision tree and eventually when you get down to – when you go from two, two options to one – the last option is launch, and they were just a minute or two away from that last Mm. option. So they were going to – we almost had World War (laughs) Three. Yeah. So it's (laughs) it's good to see competent people are in charge of these systems, isn't it?
1: (laughs) And they, they of course, uh, tell us, well, they've cut back. They've had these nuclear thing and agreements where they cut back on it. But I would have thought one nuclear bomb is is enough.
3: Yeah, well, yeah, it is, and it's quite terrible. But they they recently – I looked uh, a couple of years ago at the – threat of nuclear winter, and even with the cutback stockpiles, if Russia and America launched and China, and you would have a 10-year base oh, because the climate science has been updated around atmospherics and part, you know, particular matter in the atmospherics. And someone in about 2000, I think seven or nine redid all the nuclear winter theory mm. work, and even with the massively reduced stockpile that we have at the moment, is actually a genuinely good effort, but you'd 10-year nuclear winter. For here mm. in Australia Which is pretty much End of life as we know it because Oh yeah No, no one even stockpiles Ten years worth of no. Food in bunkers They do about three So it's all mm. over
1: mm. Yeah Yeah well, that's cheer. Just... It yeah, going? Going? We always cheer people up. We've, done it. we've started out and we come up at this end. Wait till we get to the end of the show. That's where you get really depressed. I <laughs> might be invited is, back next week. This, no, is, no, is it? this is the cheer up bit. <laughs> the, uh, Sorry.
2: <laughs> it's <okay>. I'll,
1: I'll <laughs> cheer you up, by the way. You mentioned earlier that you've, you know, you, how rich you are these days. Um, and um, <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to mention that Aston Martin are now bringing out a new model car called a Hypercar and it's probably become the fastest road car in the world, and you can snap it up for 5.3 million if you Excellent.
3: Want Look, I'll get two tomorrow. That, thanks very much That's for telling me that. Six, yeah. yeah, 5.3 million.
1: Okay, fair mil. enough. <laughs> uh, I it, it struck me when I read this, the fastest in the world, like where could you drive the bloody yeah, thing on a road? exactly. Um, Did Germany but- still have... They have open autobahns, But on Northern Territory, just had, they're just having a dispute in this election about the law up there, open mm. roads or not. Labor wants to retain a, a, a speed limit, and they've always had no speed limits up there on some of those highways. Yeah. Across um, the Nullarbor. Yeah, have that's to, right. <laughs> well, that's right. But I mean, I, I figure if you're in a 5.3 million car and someone's in a 20,000 new little car next year you in a traffic jam, you both go on the same pace. <laughs> exactly. You are.
3: Mm-hmm. But the, the funny thing is Teslas can drive themselves in the traffic jams they 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 look at the car in front and they just sort of they they just follow it and um yeah and uh they you can just sort of go back to sleep i imagine mm, but anyway yeah, there's probably someone's yeah. going to end up going off a cliff i'm sure but.
1: well getting back to the where you well, you in fact there's a nice segue here of what you just said um in fact adrian because um the the productivity commission is is advertising for an assistant commissioner inquiry group brackets water Um, And they say the Productivity Commission, and when they say what it is, which we know, it's a neoliberal, you know, advisor to government, but the Productivity Commission has recently taken on functions with respect to water. The Commission is to conduct triennial inquiries into progress toward achieving the objectives and outcomes of the National Water Initiative and conduct five yearly inquiries into implementation of the Murray-Darling Basin Plan and water resource plans. Now, once they get into investigating water, I rather think... Uh, We're going to see some pretty awful results as far as uh, at least conservation of water is concerned and conservation of rivers. Uh, And allied to that the same week, there's an article where um, a company called Duxton Asset Management um, are moving into Australia's agricultural water market. They say it's the most sophisticated in the world and its value has significant growth potential. Australia's light years ahead on water trading than any other country, and I suspect the U.S. will follow. The only problem is it's too small at the moment, so they want to make it bigger, you see. You get more control of the water. Fund to be known as will hold a portfolio diversified across water entitlement securing security classes and geographical regions within the Murray-Darling Basin. Um goes on to say the value of water is determined by its highest and best use but looking at those commodities where water is best suited their prices are currently very low and it goes on but again you've got a company moving in and all they want to do is sell water Mm. um the first question is how do you how do you become the private owner of water and rivers anyway that's always that's always the question in these things but it just seems to me a pretty dangerous situation when you're talking about trying to get more water into riverways that are
3: Yeah, certainly. And we, look, I campaigned in Canberra to, um, avoid a a dam being built in a, in a tiny dry valley with tiny inflow (laughs) rates and huge evaporation rates. And it was very, it's very vexed issue, the whole water thing. And you, you can't, you can own water rights, but they're never guaranteed in a sense, because if there's no rain, there's no water in Mm. the, in the system. I always thinking back to the, you know, how the farmers got all the water rights. Did did they actually pay them or were they just gifted them? And were those water rights, you know, I assume the Australian taxpayer paid for the Snow River Scheme. Mm. And it, sound, it seemed to me, like I'm, uh, I'm just wondering, like I've, I've been tracked this, was there just You're a massive transfer the air, of... Really, yeah, I am. Yes. Massive transfer of wealth <laughs> from the state, i.e. The, the, the water created by the, the Murray, you Murray, um, know, yeah, the, the Snow River Scheme to the farmers. yeah, and, yeah so I it, think was, it was, like,
2: was after World War Two the settler soldiers... Um, got were given land and therefore the um, water rights. My great grandfather farmed on the Murray,
3: and then, um, did he get water rights at the same time? I'm pretty y- sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, he, yeah. he would have. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And that was oh, yeah right. after World War Two.
3: Yeah. He, cool. They were
2: just given. Land. I think
3: I might do some research.
1: Yeah. On that one. Yeah. Yeah. But of course, irrigation's been the problem, and the, you know, the irrigation takes so much water. Then mm. the, you know, when, there's, when there's when there's a lack of water, mm. the river just. Runs down. Oh, and runs yeah.
3: out. And in the Howard years, we were we were three or four weeks away from shutting down the the Murray Darling system, like mm. stopping water mm. being taken out, and that would have destroyed all the sort of permanent type agriculture, mm. like orchards and mm. vineyards and things. And people forget, you know, with climate change, we just it's it's a little bit risky in terms of how we're going to manage these assets into the future and whether we're going to have the ability to provide water when we need to to certain areas. So it's something we have to constantly look at.
2: Mm. Mm, definitely,
1: yeah. Yeah look what we might do is um is go to Howard and get a um and, uh, and get a view on this Queensland thing and up, start our housing thing. And then um, by the time we're finished with Howard, um, finished with in the nicest possible way, of course, <laughs> um, we'll, well, I'm sure that Sharni Gordon will be here to talk about uh, what she's coming in to talk about. So let's take a break. And I'll try and also sort out this microphone mess in front of me here. All right. And we'll uh, be back. I might even go and top up the tea while we're at. Now, Sharni Gordon's just arrived. We were going to talk to Howard. We might get back to her before the end of the show yeah, if we sure, can, we'll. all right. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: Sharni, how are you?
2: Good, how are you? All right,
1: good, good. Um, we're introducing you now, Sharni. She doesn't know all these other people. That's Adrian to your left.
0: Hi, and Hi Adrian. And
1: Emma's pressing the buttons over there Hi. in front of you. Hi, Emma. Sharni Gordon, is. we said at the start of the show, is from the Housing with Age Action Group. What's your title there, Sharni? I've got no idea what your title is.
0: I am the Retirement Housing Worker. That's what you are? Yes.
1: Um, and um, you're going to tell us a few things about, um, or a few problems, I think, in the area, are there not at the moment? Um, well, there probably always are, but... Uh,
0: yes. Um,
1: uh, yeah. Problems? Problems? Or is it all going brilliantly and uh, people are being treated so wonderfully?
0: If it was going brilliantly, I wouldn't have a job. Right, that is right. the aim, So you don't ultimately.
1: want to work your, you, want it, you want it to stay bad? You want no, to, no. So. I
0: mean, ultimately, it would be good to uh, to end all of the problems and put myself out of a job, but that will take a long time, uh, probably not in my lifetime, unfortunately. Mm-hmm.
1: By the way, you want a bit of tea, but we're at it. Oh, yes, yeah, please. Okay. That'd be lovely.
0: Get, <laughs> Thank you. We've got
1: you. a very small pot here, but we've got a big Just pot. Small. A big pot's turned up, so next week we're going to have a a real big pot team, and we ought to have lots Thank of you. cups of tea. <laughs> Thank, Thank, you. Thank you. Thank you very Good. much. What? There we are. Still going Okay, around. sorry, Charlie, we cut you <laughs> no, off. No, that's fine. That's Roodling fine. and terribly.
0: Um, so, yes, lots of problems, but um, at the moment there are lots of uh, reviews happening, which will hopefully... Um, go a little way to, to reducing some of those problems into mm. the future, hopefully.
1: Mm. And problems such as?
0: Um, excessive fees and costs, um, poor uh, attitudes of management towards residents and tenants, um, complex and difficult contracts, lack of um, proper protections, rights and responsibilities. Um, yeah, the, sort yeah. Of they're the main ones that people come through the service about. We might
1: commit to some of those specifically then, but yeah. what, what what inquiries are currently being held then to address those issues?
0: so one of the, try to, I suppose. Try to, yeah. Um, one of the, the main things that's happening at the moment is that um, the Victorian government is holding a parliamentary inquiry into retirement housing. Mm. So that's looking at retirement villages, caravan parks, residential parks independent living units, um, rental villages, really any anything that can be defined as um, housing specifically for people who are retired. Um, so it's a really broad inquiry. It's looking at things like, is the legislation adequate? Um, are, are protections adequate? Are management standards adequate? Um, costs and, are costs and fees reasonable? Um, are people being treated with dignity and respect? So it's really broad. It's not it, it sort of basically allows you to say whatever it is that you need to say in that space. Um, and the, it's, it began at the beginning of the year in March, or end of February, beginning of March. So they've had the first phase finished, which is submissions that were handed in, um, and the next phase is public hearings. So the aim of the process, I suppose, is that the Parliamentary Committee will come up with a, a number of recommendations for government that they will hopefully consider um, when they're looking at, you know, doing other reviews or making amendments to regulation.
1: Mm. Mm. Has anyone else got a... It's become one of the um, the big... Financial areas these days. I mean, you see almost every day companies coming out and new companies developing who are going mm. deliberately into this market. Yes. So, and, and there's lots of story, lots of articles around which see it purely as a market. Yes. Um. Now, I suppose that's a problem. A lot of companies go in seeing it as a market, regardless of the mm. impact on the people they're supposed to be serving or not serving, perhaps.
0: Look, there's big business mm. in retirement housing. <clears throat> um, not all forms of retirement housing are private are run by private businesses, so you do have not for profit retirement villages that are run by churches, charities, and not for profit organizations um, but I guess more and more these days residents are even questioning whether they are really not making a profit or you know are they making a profit and and also even their costs are increasing, so even even that uh, portion of the sector is changing. Um, But you're right, like caravan parks, residential parks and the large for-profit retirement villages are all private Mm. businesses um, run by increasingly large Mm. companies um, to make a profit. And there's always going to be a tension between the owner who wants to make a profit, is in it for some type of investment, and the resident who is in it because that's their home. That's the home that they choose or perhaps they don't have a choice and that's the home that they can afford. Wow. Um, and I think that no matter no matter what type of uh, changes to regulation and legislation you create, there will always still be that imbalance, which I think is going to be really yeah. hard to overcome. Well, there's
1: one company that's been buying up uh, caravan parks and turning them into modular homes as part of retirement villages. I mean, that's, they claim that's a cheaper way for people to be housed, etc., but it's also for yeah. their, they're making a lot of money out of it
0: yes um having a, so that 's basically a residential park or a residential village it's some um, movable dwellings but but purpose built for permanent living targeted um at people over fifty five um because it's still classified as a caravan park in terms of zoning and rate payments it um, there's a lot less cost involved in setting up a business like that. The homes that are being built um being technically movable, meant to be cheaper to make overall. Um, And yes, it's a little bit cheaper perhaps, perhaps, um, than, you know, moving into a for-profit retirement village. But I know uh, units like that that uh, cost in excess of $450,000. And so you're talking about the person owns the unit but doesn't own the land. But, well, you know, that's the theory that it's meant to be kind of a cheaper form of housing. But these days
3: they could buy a two bedroom apartment for that in you know, an apartment yeah. block, for example. Yeah.
0: Like strata title, where yep. you you mm. own it outright. Yep. Whereas mm. this you don't own the site, you just own the dwelling. So it's um even though there are still some places where you can buy one for maybe hundred and fifty thousand, um, that's really rare these days. And and they're all kind of moving towards the high end lifestyle option. Mm. So it's it's meant to be Um, it's meant to draw people in because of the facilities and you know it's meant Mm -hmm. to be higher end but yeah it's much more affordable to set up as a business Mm. yeah
1: Yeah. but many of them are actually in areas where there's not that many facilities I mean they might provide some facilities on site but Mm. many because of the land values many of them are in areas where really it's a long way from shops or other services Uh, some are being built now in other areas but they're very expensive yes one in Caulfield for instance that sounds like it's incredible. They're calling it Six Star, but it cost a fortune to go into Oh it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but most of them are in locations where really people are pretty isolated up there.
0: Well, I mean, these days when you look at the amount of land that we've got available, I mean, to, to set up a village or a park like that, um, if you're talking, you know, 150 to 200 sites, you need a really large um, block of land. And if you want to have communal facilities as well. So yeah, of course, uh, they're moving out further. Um in in a sense, they're they're moving into areas that actually do need more housing options anyway, so it's not a bad thing. But oftentimes, yeah, that the land itself is located away from um, key infrastructure like transport, you know, doctors, uh, supermarkets, mm, yeah. and that type of thing. So um, some people might be driving when they first move in there. But I know there are instances of um, residential parks that. Uh, You know, for people that are getting on in age that have stopped driving, they don't actually have transport um, outside the village. So to get to the shops is really difficult. Mm. And so you either rely on your fellow neighbours, which can also be difficult um, or you know a community bus or something like that but mm. but you don't have that regular access right. and you mm. have to
1: be you have to adjust to it I mean you can't yeah. just go down and go there you've got to go at the 10 o'clock when the bus that's leaves, right
0: it's yeah. not like I need some milk oh, I might just hop on the bus mm. and head down and mm. get some milk and a coffee um, yeah they can't do that so I know that and and sometimes they're also being built in areas where the infrastructure isn't adequate enough already so an example is I remember doing a talk out at a village and the res- it w- at the time the residents were saying that they were struggling to get into the local doctors so all of the doctors had wait lists and they weren't taking anybody new on. So people were having to seek uh, doctors outside of the area which meant longer travel to get to your mm. GP. Um, so I guess it, it, it also falls a little bit on local councils possibly to to look at what's available in the area, and to look at the the size of the development, and and whether local infrastructure can actually yeah. support that. That's
1: an interesting one, because given yeah. there's a population that's going to need medical care, uh, one would think that the developers themselves, you know, it should be almost obligatory on them to make sure that's available or nearby. And some of them do advertisers on site. I think, don't they? Some sort of medical, some do, some, but. Yeah. Um, but certainly um one would think there's an obligation there to make sure people are close enough to medical care. Mm.
0: Yeah, and I I mean I I think there has been one or two sort of um vcat orders made where uh, there's been um companies who have applied to to develop a particular, you know, park or village. And the order has sort of said that there has to be certain infrastructure in place to support it in order for it to be okay. But that's really rare. Mm. I mean, generally, the permit's really just about whether it can be physically developed on the land and, and it's not really taken into account. And you're right, for older people, um, it's important to have all of those supports in place. For anyone, but for older people especially. Mm. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
3: So is it, a, what what's your fixes, in, in short, sort of, for the system at the How moment? How to improve it? Yeah.
0: Um, so I guess for us, some some of the key things are obviously security of tenure. Um, some of these places still don't provide uh, long-term security for residents, so they're making a significant investment without having that certainty that they can stay there for as long as they need to. Um, things like affordability, so security of tenure isn't just your the length of your lease, but it's also whether you can afford to remain there Um, long term so you know most people move in there with the idea that they're going to stay there for the rest of their lives. Um, Accessibility and adaptability so um, many places are not always built with the target group in mind so the idea that you know as we age we we might have um, needs that change so our mobility might change or we might need to have you know Mm -hmm. Um, homes that are adaptable mm. to suit our needs. And they're not always built that way.
2: Could that be things like Alzheimer's and dementia as well? Is that is that part
0: of it? Look, we haven't taken it that far because mm. there is sort of a recognition that 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 somebody going through, if somebody with dementia requires, you know, full-time care, mm. at least after a certain point. Um, not to say that people can't get care in their homes. So obviously, mm. um, and all of these types of housing are independent living. So, mm. oh, it's if,
2: independent. Yeah. Ah. So, if mm. you want to
0: stay in your home, you can you can get uh, home care Help packages. In. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you can do that for as long as you can, basically, until until you get to the point where you might require something a little bit more um, supportive. So, they all have that provision, but sometimes the, the physically the homes themselves aren't actually able to accommodate somebody's changing needs. Mm. So. Um so simple things like when you look at movable dwellings in parks, doorways are too narrow so they don 't fit wheelchairs or emergency ambulance stretchers. Um, the way doors open, you know the bathroom, how the showers built, whether the walls can support rails
2: yeah and yeah had rails yeah, yeah. And,
0: and those types of things um and and often they 're not built with that in mind, so if somebody's needs do change, they have mm. to put a lot of extra money into. Um, at, to adapt it yep. to their needs and that's just the inside so then you move outside of the dwelling um, they all have stairs yeah. leading up into them so if somebody needs a ramp at some point um, usually they can't build it at the front of the movable dwelling because the it wouldn't be able to be built to standard because of the way they're set up. Mm-hmm. The dimensions of it yeah. 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 So sometimes if they're lucky and they've got a, a side door they could do it through the carport but that's not always the case either. Mm-hmm. Um, And then even the park or village environment itself. So some don't have walkways. Some of them are built on um, old tips, so the roads are like Mm. (laughs) crazy and you couldn't – if you had a walker, it would be a nightmare. Mm. Um, And even the communal facilities aren't accessible, so they don't necessarily have rails and ramps and that type Mm. of thing. So there's actually a lot to think about. Um, And the idea, I suppose, is just that people want to – that they choose – to live in these types of places or it's what they can afford, but they want to live there for the rest of their lives. The, nobody likes to move, and as you mm. age, that just gets harder and harder. So for us, the changes that we want to see are those that make it sustainable, secure, affordable, accessible, appropriate, um, Mm. All the key HAG standards. Anyway, there was a
1: story just this week. In fact, that um, in the last, you know, there's, there was a law passed three or four years ago that all new houses from a certain point were supposed to be accessible and built, but that in fact only a very small percentage of new houses mm-hmm. since then have been built uh, able to accommodate the, the issues you're talking about, mm-hmm. like even a, a wall that could take a, a, you know, a, a, rail, a rail or whatever. Um, so. Even though the law was passed, they seem to be, it seems to be being totally ignored by developers and builders
3: well and, and that's that 's yeah. just
1: generally in society but yes. the fact that that people building homes for older people don 't do it is extraordinary in many ways
0: well it 's interesting so if if it 's what if it 's what I think you 're talking about it 's um the with the building act and there 's been some amendments made that are going to be sort of um, come in a staged process mm. yeah. in terms of m- more universal design and accessibility. Um, it's a it's a um, a national act, and each of the states can choose whether they opt in or opt out of those. And my understanding is that Victoria has chosen to opt in yeah. to those. Um, and so for things like for-profit retirement villages, reg- regular construction, you know, not for-profit retirement villages, um, those types of things. Any new construction is meant to abide by that. For parks and movable dwellings, movable dwellings have a lot of exemptions from the Building Act and therefore it doesn't apply to them. Oh. So we still have an area that um, is. basically has flown yeah. under the radar and and you don't require um, building inspection. You like There's a lot of exemptions and so there's, as a result, a lot of issues. Um, mm-hmm. People are moving into homes that... You know can be substandard, and they 're paying money to own them, mm-hmm. um, and sometimes a significant amount and sometimes everything that they 've got um, so one of the things that we 're asking for in that space is that the that there shouldn 't be those types of exemptions that there should be really good solid foundation in terms of um mm-hmm. the building code mm-hmm. and the
2: um universal design, as you've said before, yeah, can you explain um what that is yes. to listeners
0: yep so i it's it's um building. Uh, building buildings in a way <laughs> that is um, accessible to every person no matter what their um, age, shape, mobility. So, you know, we're talking about appropriately wide doorways, um, sort of more, slightly more open plan so when you come into the home, you can if – you, if you're in a wheelchair, you can do a, an easy circle. Yeah. So it's meant to be nice and open. Accessible bathrooms, so no lip on the shower, you know, flat entry homes. um just that type, yeah, that mm. type of thing. Yeah. So that it's accessible to everyone no matter what.
2: Yeah, yeah. Just
1: yeah. making a note here, building buildings. That's right.
0: I building, know. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Sorry about that. That was really <laughs> Got that a that great, great sort of. turn of phrase there.
3: <laughs> Last time you
1: were in, Shani, we talked about um, rip-offs and, and charges being laid, particularly when people left or died or whatever, and yes. charges. Are, is that still going on all the uh, Yes. And can you explain to people what that is? Because it's... Um, it's an interesting ripoff,
0: in my opinion. Yeah, well, the the industry might say, might say otherwise. Um, might, wouldn't call it a ripoff as we know, but um, interesting chart. Yeah, that's right. Um, so basically, for so if you look at retirement villages, say, and and now even for residential parks, this is this has begun as well. You pay your ingoing amount of money, um, or you your, you purchase your dwelling. Um, so that's a large lump sum of money. You pay ongoing fees, so your site fees or your maintenance fees, so whatever form of housing you're in. They've got a slightly different name, but basically that's like your rent um, every fortnight or every month. Um, and then in the retirement village sector, you have your deferred management fees or your exit fees, which is a lump sum of money that you'll pay um, when you leave out of out of the uh, sale price or reletting price of your unit Um, And now in the residential park space, they're doing similar. So there's deferred management fees there as well. Um, And some of them even have um, added extras like refurbishment costs. So that's another lump sum that you have to pay when you leave. Um, Sales commission, administration costs. So, I mean, one example that I had in, in my submission to the inquiry was in a residential park the person ended up paying in excess of eighty thousand dollars to leave, and he ended up getting less back than the amount that he originally bought the dwelling for. So he, there was no, you know, you don't get the cap, the, the the bonus mm. of capital gains or anything like that. Um, yeah, it was it was quite amazing. So, I mean, one of the one of the things that we're asking for is that those need to be regulated yeah. and really cut down. I mean, so, I presume that's coming up in this inquiry. That's yeah, been yeah, absolutely. <laughs> is, is there
3: a sort of an ombudsman or, or something equivalent that people go to or are you it?
0: Well, I'm definitely not an ombudsman, but <laughs> but no, there isn't. Yeah. So, I mean, that's one of the other key things that we're asking for. Um, dispute resolution in this space, no matter what type of retirement housing and what legislation it's covered by, is really difficult. Um One, just navigating it, navigating the avenues that you've already got, things like VCAT, the Victorian Civil and Administrative Tribunal, but also just um, for older people, there's a lot of fear around exercising their rights, you know, fear that they might get kicked out or there'd be negative repercussions or they'll be ostracised. So one of the things that we are asking for, because one of the things that that, um, older residents and tenants have said, in an ongoing way, is that they want a form of dispute resolution that is non-confrontational, that's confidential, that provides them with expert advice and support, um, but that actually has some teeth as well. And so um, we're, we're asking for a retirement housing ombudsman mm. because it just seems to be that that would be something that residents would access and it's easy um,
3: Oh, it seems absolutely vital, yeah. And someone to advocate on their behalf. Me, my mum's in her eighties now, and you know she's. We've just negotiated a um, an estate issue and the the amount of stress that has that has caused her in the last four years has aged her significantly, and it's been very yeah. very difficult for her. And that was something where, in a non-hostile, completely cooperative yeah. manner, and just going through the legal issues, and in in some respects, it's a bit beyond her. So you know, we we're doing the work on her behalf, and she's fortunate to have family that can do that but yeah. if you if you don't have family who's capable or willing you really need to have someone who can do that for you That's if right. at a certain point you know for That's some people right. yeah. Yeah. yeah no
0: it's really really important and and especially when it comes to things like home and for whatever reason the dispute or the issue has has arisen so you know sometimes sometimes people make the decision to move into retirement housing purely on an emotional basis and it might be that um a partner or husband or wife has passed away or their health has become, begun to t- deteriorate a little bit and they just want a little bit more of a secure community to live in or whatever. Um, and they may not always understand the whole picture when they're moving in, and so something might arise later on that uh, they may not have been aware of, that, that because it puts, potentially puts their home at jeopardy, creates much more stress than if you're dealing with something that's outside, objective. Does that make sense? So mm. it becomes really personal. Yep. <clears> and their <throat> whole livelihood is sort of tied up in that. And for an older person, the idea of possibly having to move or, or possibly mm. being evicted is just mm. a nightmare because yeah. they sort of, oh, where am I going to go? And and really the options are...
2: And it's surrendering a lot of um, control
0: yeah. over, you know, managing your own
2: life, really. Yeah.
0: Um, and And... It does, it starts to get hard. So it's always good mm. if you can have a, a, an outside objective person to support you and to kind of advocate for you. Um, but but having an ombudsman, I mean, I do that, I'm an advocate, but having an ombudsman is that next step of sort of being able to potentially create a much more binding um, outcomes for residents before them having to go to VCAT because VCAT, once you say VCAT, lots of people go, oh, no, no, I couldn't do that. And often they'll just put up with things because... Mm. You know, it's too much to have to mm-hmm. think about going through that process. Mm-hmm. So, and,
3: and do, do the people in the the office of housing, public housing, um, run older person facilities? Mm-hmm. Are they run really well. Are they generally happy? Are there issues with those, or in comparison like to public the... public housing tenants? Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> that' so not an area that I work in, yeah. but um, don't no, not necessarily entirely happy there either. Yeah. Um, there are lots of issues. I mean, I, I think if you look at VCAT. In relation to the residential tenancies list, the Department of Housing is one of the um,
3: top performers. Is it? Or top, yeah, yeah top, one of the top, top, top applicants. In, yeah, yeah. yeah,
0: I think. Um, so please correct me if I'm yeah. wrong, anybody out there. But I think that that's true. That they really, they really do appear um, a lot, and so yeah. So I, I'm not going to say that. So everybody's no system's entirely, perfect. At, no, uh, yeah, yeah, okay, no, yeah, yeah, no. But but I think um, I guess for us, you know, as an organisation, we, we we always look for key things, and the key things are security appropriateness, affordability, accessibility, you know, those types of things. So any change that we ask for, I think, ever in any sector um, is sort of based around those principles. But remembering as well that we're a member-based organisation, so everything that I put in a submission comes from our members. So it comes from residents and tenants who are directly affected um, and they're basically informing me um, based on their experiences, what they feel Needed, And then I just communicate that, you know, to whoever yep. happens to be listening, hopefully, yeah. at the time. Um, so, yeah, we stick by those principles and kind of hope that we can make a little bit of headway. It's never going to be perfect, but, you know... We can make some improvements, Cause at least. One day, when I mean, that's when you yeah, lose yeah. your job. Yeah, that's when I lose I like my that. job. <laughs> yeah. I, I, don't, I don't think I
3: think more NGOs should have exit strategies. Actually, it's it's wonderful to hear that people actually have that vision of I'm going to lose my job. That's fantastic. Yeah, well, that's yeah. right.
0: That's the I'm um, community development worker. That's yeah. what I. That's what you're meant to do. You're meant to yeah, work yeah. to lose your job, I not to keep it.
1: T- I think for the time you lose your job, the exit strategy will need a ramp to get you out. Yeah, there. probably. <laughs> um, but that's that's another question. Yeah. Um, just in terms of seeing it as big business. Um, um, a bloke writing an article representing the Guild, which is the industry body, he says, a recent study by Deloitte Access Economics for the Guild found that aged care generated $17.6 billion in economic benefits to the Australian economy, nothing to do with how people are treated. He also says, but until industry can be sure of, of a predictable public funding contribution, the investment environment needed to meet future demand will not be apparent. In other words, we want more government money. Uh, and he concludes by saying aged care can be a good news growth story for Australia. So that's purely business terms. I mean, it's a problem you face. I've started out there, but this is a problem yeah. we face, isn't it? And what, why should they get government money if they're a laissez faire capitalist enterprise?
0: Well, and it's interesting because aged care is different. A lot of what, what I'm actually finding now is a lot of the uh, not for profit retirement village providers. Um, I mean, it's been happening over a long time anyway, but we're losing a lot of that, that stock, the, the independent living units and not-for-profit retirement villages, either because they're in great locations and they can well, sell for uh, you know, a good amount of money, um, or they're actually demolishing and redeveloping into aged care because they're able to get government money to assist them to do that and there just seems to be more money in that space. Um, It's not happening yet in the retirement housing sector, in the independent independent living sector. So the aged care
3: part is the the part after independent living. Yeah. So they're they're, they're able to access government funds through that, but not in that earlier stage. No. Hmm.
0: Um, Although the not-for-profit retirement village sector and the independent living unit started off um, with government subsidy. That's how the sector began. Like back in the 1950s, the government actually encouraged churches, charities and not-for-profits to um, provide housing for older people on low incomes, and they subsidised them to do that. So it was actually a whole strategy. They continued doing that for about thirty years, and then they pulled pulled all the funds in the eighties and said so they weren't giving, they weren't going to put any more money into it. And so a lot of those um, organisations sold uh, their stock because they couldn't continue maintaining it on yep. their own. Um, a lot of them then changed to those that kept them, a lot of them changed to retirement villages where they started asking for ingoing amounts of money from people to try and, you know, be able to maintain themselves financially. Um, but we've lost a lot of stock, partly because of location and value, land value, partly because of aged care, mm-hmm. those those opportunities, or because they're building retirement housing that costs more. So they're actually... Um, that housing option that's available for older people on low income um, is really starting to disappear. So you've got um, ILU stock disappearing, you've got public housing not being built. Um, so all of that pressure along that housing spectrum for lower income, um, older people is just...
3: Huge, yeah. It's
0: huge. Yeah. And, but people never actually um, talk about ILUs, independent living units. They never actually talk about it in that equation, but that's actually um, increasing the pressure... So yeah,
1: and this week, of course, we've seen the minister for housing uh, tell us that we have to get the homeless out of houses because they're needed for the needy. Um, can What's... someone explain to me um, why homelessness is no longer needy?
0: I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about. It. I can't answer that question because that was um, quite astonishing.
1: Right. So, that, well, that's, yeah. so well, that's it. So will they teach? You well, that's you sort it. of answered it, haven't you? yeah.
0: But but can I also say that there's a lot of uh, independent living unit providers that have empty units because either they're transitioning out or, you know, they're choosing to to change how they do things. So we know a lot of there's we know of a lot of places that have empty there's, units, there's bacon, at, yeah. and there's number of there's high high number of people that need housing and. It just doesn't seem quite right. So um, it's sort of in the same in the same mm. vein that we should and, just be housing this, people.
1: And this I, goes a bit to what um, Howard was going to ring about. And Howard, look, given the time, we will we'll talk to you on next week's program and just talk because Howard from from um, people for public housing has a story that in Queensland they've just in fact stopped giving public housing away to community groups, and he's saying it's a win situation up there. So uh, we will have something on that next week, but. Um, but they're also—I mean—the government's saying it wants the Salvation Army to run these places. Sorry, the Salvation Army to run these places. <laughs> uh, now, where did they come into the picture? Surely, if you've got public housing, the public should run it, should it not? It's um, a pretty difficult oh, question for you to answer. I know, it um, is. Charlie. But...
0: But, but as you know, HAG has always advocated for more public housing. We will continue to do so, regardless of what is actually happening out in the sector, which, as we know, is you know a lot of transfers over to a. Um, you know, community housing associations. But we, as an organisation, believe that it, there should be more public housing, that it should be in the government's hands, it should be their responsibility, and they shouldn't be palming it off. So I think, you know,
1: mm-hmm. yeah. But also the, the argument that he wants to, the Salvation Army to have these houses for uh, victims of domestic violence. Now, yeah. one, I thought hostages were supposed to be all places people didn't know where you went. Not hostages. Um, oh, Refuges. Like, refuges. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> they're held hostage. But anyway, um, refuges were places you weren't supposed to know where mm. people were. Yeah, that's, 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 that's right. Yeah. yeah. Um yeah. But secondly, um, it does seem to be just a, just a ploy, doesn't it, to get these people out?
0: Yeah, quite possibly. And I mean, I have to say the Salvation Army used to actually own a whole lot of independent living units way back in the... 1980s, yeah. and they sold them all off. So yeah. I mean, I don't know that.
3: And that's always the, I always worry about that. Yeah. You know, when you hand over government property to people, and yeah. they they unless there's some sort of guarantee that this this has to be held for this purpose for 100 years or something like that, then what is stopping them at some point exactly. to then sell them for some other priority within their within their organisation? To yeah, ma- even if it's just maintaining wages. Exactly. <laughs> so, that's so. why
0: the yeah the government needs to have responsibility for, you know to provide housing to in
3: people. england's right in yeah. England is this funny case of the government choosing to sell off a hospital and um one one you know lord rocked up and took repossession of it because his great 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 grandfather lord donated it to the government for the purpose of a hospital and the moment that it was changed its tenure back to selling it off for something else, he retook possession. So, I mean, if like the British aristocracy <laughs> can organise that, why can't our government, that's like, right. hand over the houses on a sort of a, a lease or something like that? Rather yeah, I like that. It. Yeah. It's a good idea. Oh,
0: okay. So, yeah. Well,
1: okay, we'll go and take a little <laughs> <laughs> We're in there. It's uh, not your area specifically, but um, nursing homes, I just noticed, again, Estia Health, one of the companies that runs all this stuff, that, but a number of them have recently put a new fee on, um, they're calling it the asset replacement contribution fee. Um, and they say, uh, and for many people it turns out this now pushes them over the over the actual pension level for people. In it. So people are actually now paying more than they're getting in the pension. Um, but they've, they've introduced an $18 a day charge for residents who meet the cost of their accommodation up front. So for particular people um, in nursing homes, they've actually put an extra fee on. Uh do you know about that at all? Not...
0: not really, no. Yeah, so I know it's
1: not your area specifically. No, yeah, and I have yeah. to say
0: like lately I have um supported a couple of people uh with a, with moves into aged care because their um the the village was basically demolishing the units that they were living in. Mm-hmm. Um and can I say it's just a minefield? Like I struggled to find my way through you know, the whole process and how to support them. Um so I guess just what I want to say is for people that are having to do it on their own, I think it's um, yeah, um. it's really complex. And I, I think if I can just encourage people to try and get some support, um, because there are lots of charges and fees, and you've got to get assessments done, and it's just I can't even begin to work out how it all gets calculated, to be honest. So yeah. it's important for people to question. I guess this is the importance of understanding what you're signing you know, questioning what's actually being charged as opposed to just accepting what you're being told because I think sometimes that happens and people can get taken advantage of. So, And it
1: comes back to the point you made a few minutes ago, but you really need someone to help you through this because yeah. one person on their own might... Be confused by it. Well, you said you get confused. I yeah, by it, so. I was confused by it. Yeah, so yeah. yeah,
0: I can't imagine. Yeah. So if you
1: got two, of you, you can both be confused, and it makes it, it make it better.
0: Well, that's right. Hopefully, that's right. that cancels <laughs> cancel each other out, and you actually yeah. start to make sense of it. So yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so when's this inquiry going to? Do we know? Is there a time? You say this going to go very shortly into um, into public hearings. Um, You've done submissions, obviously, so far.
0: Yes, so submissions, uh, they were due on the 30th of June. Um, public hearings are meant to sort of be done within this second half of the year, So, but that could be, you know, within the next... Mm. Anywhere between and, and now next, and December. So
1: sometime next year, early, we would hope, there'll be a report come out.
0: So 1st of March, so the, the, the Parliamentary Committee has to provide their recommendations by the 1st of March, and then the government has, I believe, six months to respond. Um, my understanding is they don't have to... Um, take on those recommendations, but they do have to respond to them in some way. And I guess what I can say is that there are a number of other reviews being undertaken by govern- government at the moment, like the Residential Tenancies Act review and the Access to Justice review, that hopefully um, the inquiry also informs. So hopefully the the recommendations are sort of synchronised in terms mm. of what the government's actually doing anyway. Um But yeah, we'll have to wait and
1: see. And we'll have have to to talk to you when that happens. That's
3: right. That's right. And and (laughs) if people want to go to the, you're going to have the sort of information on the HAG website to be able for people to find out where to go to the public hearings if they want to. Definitely. Yeah. Front up with their burning issue on this issue. So.
0: Yes. (laughs)
3: Yeah. I I think I did your one. (laughs) You you just did. Yeah, that's right. Um, But
0: yes, definitely. And like, we're encouraging all of our members who want to go to public hearings to come along with us because I think it'd be a great opportunity just to. To sit and listen mm. to uh, all different sides, so um, so absolutely we'll have that information. And, and
3: parliamentarians available. are sitting, or is it public servants that uh, it says so you get to talk to the parliamentarians? In the,
0: the parliamentary committee, yeah. yeah so there's yeah. uh senators in the upper house, that,
3: the upper Victorian upper house, Victorian yeah, upper
0: yeah, house, yeah, yeah. So there's you know a group of them that have um that are undertaking the inquiry, and they're the ones that will be there asking the questions. Excellent.
1: Yeah. And I suppose people like this bloke who wrote the article about great investment opportunities would have a slightly different point of view to you on what should happen in this.
0: Completely. I've I've seen an industry submission and... um, (laughs) <laughs> What's the complete opposite of what yeah, we're saying, yeah. basically? Right. But that's to be expected. That's okay. Yeah, I, you, I guess, right. Mm.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay, look, time's up, team. It's 59, I think. 50. Oh, good, thank God. We had two clocks saying the same thing last week. At least they're saying different things again today. That's good.
2: Um, <laughs> <laughs>
1: so, whatever time it is, <laughs> got to go because Joe will be bursting in the studio shortly and telling us how old we are and talking about prostates and the usual things he talks about. <laughs> um, so, next week we're back with, I don't know what we're hoping, maybe we'll do something on gambling or something. We'll talk about it after the show, team. But um, about time we did something on gambling problems, I think, on this show.
0: Sounds good. Thank Sharni, well,
1: thanks for coming in. It's been wonderful.
0: No worries. Thank okay. you for having me. Sharni Gordens with
1: the House of Good Age Action Group. And you do you, do you, you also appear to you not on the Hague program on this station, do you?
0: Sometimes, yeah. yeah. yeah we we all turn. take turns. When,
1: when, tell people when it's all on the Hague program. Oh, you you're remember. testing
0: me now. The, it's the fourth <laughs> Wednesday Fourth Wednesday of every month at 6pm. Yeah, I hope Wednesday. I got that right. Yes. Yeah, I think I think you are yeah. right.
1: <laughs> okay, look, thanks a lot. and um, Look, thank everyone else for helping and thank Emma for doing a wonderful job pressing buttons.
0: Oh, thank you, everybody, yes. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. <laughs> You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.